Farzi, I made a mistake on one of our podcasts. One mistake on one podcast? Very, very good point. Um, I said that when we were talking about uh, Mississauga to Ian, um, I said that this is the city I got my start covering this league. And that's false because I actually got my start covering uh, the Niagara Ice Dogs working for the Brock Press back in the day at the Jack. So now that we make our alphabetical way through, we'll see what mistake I make here with our guest, Steve Clark, and uh, I'll address it on the next podcast. I like how these are all just your sinister ways of pointing out how old I am, because when I started in this league, the Niagara Falls Thunder were still a thing. Just let's get that into our heads. Okay. So, well, yeah, you're old. I am. I am. But Steve Clark is neither old nor mistake prone. That's why we invited him onto the podcast this week. Uh, Steve, thanks so much. It's nice to catch up with you in the middle of the summer. <laughs> well, it's your first, it, you've made your first mistake, Mike, because I, I realize now I am getting old with players that I covered now getting coaching jobs and GM jobs and becoming parents and, and things like that. And, and yes, I have made mistakes, but I'm, I, I have a trivia question as well. Because I think Chris could win a few dollars by saying who was the first team that he covered. Who was the first team that I covered or I called an OHL game for? Hmm, okay. Ooh. First first team you caught, like the home team? Yeah. TV, home. Eastern Conference. There, I'll narrow it down. I'll give you a guess. Eastern Conference. Ooh, how far back? I'm going to go... 2006. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm going to go with the Oshawa Generals. Oh, wait. No. Can I take that back? I want to go with either the uh, Toronto St. Mike's Majors or the Brampton Battalion. It's one of them. It's gonna, I'm going to narrow it down to that, Popper. You can have one if you want. Or I was gonna, go, off, go, off, go off paper. I was going to say the Toronto St. Michael's Majors. All right. It was Oshawa. Ooh. I was right the first there time. I should have stuck in, with like in for Roger Lechois. There you go. Why did you Look second guess yourself first? I... <laughs> Welcome to my life, right? Amen. Everything's another decision I should have made differently. Uh, you sound like my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so, Steve, when last we were covering this league and it was active, I don't know about you, but it feels like a hundred years ago. And by the time we get back in October, it'll be about, what, 20, nah, not quite 20, but 18, 19 months from the time we all left off in March of 2020. Uh, how did it feel on your end and for the ice dogs when this all came crashing down back in the spring of 2020? Well, for, I mean, I think March 12th, 2020, it was for, for the ice dogs. And uh, it was a weird game because it was the game that Akil Thomas came back to Niagara. He was playing for Peterborough and Peterborough handed it to the ice dogs 12 one. So that's kind of the lasting memory of the last game that, that, that we called and then Niagara would go out and actually play the last OHL game in Ottawa a couple nights later Nine one, and everybody was kind of wondering who was going to back into the playoffs. Was it going to be Kingston or was it going to be Niagara to keep their playoff streak alive? Um, because both teams were tumbling backwards, basically down the stretch. And uh, but we never got to answer that question. Obviously, it, you know what? It was a funny year because all the expectations were that at some point we're going to get something. I was firmly convinced that Quebec and the WHL, because they were 
desperately getting some form of a season going and season in, I thought that Ontario was going the same way. So it actually came as a shock, but I guess not a shock considering the circumstances we were in at the time that the season did get canceled. But you're right, man. It's been a long 18 or 19 months. I mean, this is fantastic. I actually get to talk hockey <laughs> with you guys and see you as well. That's wonderful too. <laughs> uh, don't lie. Um, <laughs> it's, it's been even longer for Tucker Tynan. How excited are you and is that organization, do you think, to see him back in the OHL? I, I think it's it's going to be a real special moment. Um, I mean, it's so weird that he was a 17-year-old goalie when this happened. Highly touted. He played so well, you know, up until that injury. And now I believe he's going to be turning 19. And, uh, you know, a guy who probably is physically matured, who's participating in the U.S. Uh, junior camp right now. Um, so it appears that, you know, in terms of, the healing of that horrid, horrid injury, uh, that seems to be good. And uh, I, I think it's just going to be something to see him skate out, probably opening night, probably as the starting goaltender uh, to however many fans are allowed in the building to what will be a, probably an emotional standing ovation. Yeah, I think he deserves a lap by himself there at the start Oh, definitely. on that team. After everything he's went through and to come back like that, I just, yeah, I, I want to be there, to be honest just to see the reaction, you know, mm-hmm. maybe we can swap broadcast partners for the night and Popper, you can go, I'll find somebody. I, you know, apparently Steve Clark can fill in wherever the guy's yeah. the man of all trades. Right. So Ed, Ed would make the trip up the Kitchener. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, he no. would, but I don't know. That's, you know, that, that'd be, that'd be something for, for Farwell to handle my good buddy, Ed Burkholder. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very 14 good 14 years in and we still, we still argue like old married couples. <laughs> and he'll fit right in. Yeah. It, yeah. It's perfect. It's absolutely <laughs> perfect. So I guess it would be fair to say, Steve, that uh, as 2019, 20 wound down the season that is uh it was a a rebuilding uh ice dogs team obviously in a fight for that final playoff spot which adds some nice drama and excitement towards the end of a season but akil thomas goes off to peterborough thomasino of course goes off to oshawa in trades but the team was in the process of beginning its rebuild at the time yeah yeah they were and 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 that i mean that's going to be the great wild card when it comes to niagara this year who knows you know, what would have happened last year with, you know, what would have been a very, very young team. Now those guys are a year older. There's going to be some other 16-year-olds involved, and the Ice Dogs did have three second-round draft picks uh, this year. They didn't have a first-round pick. That was the final penalty that they paid uh, a couple years ago for tampering, Um, but it was going to be rebuilding. I mean, in in that 1920 season, the Ice Dogs were kind of hovering around 500, but they knew that um, they were losing Tomasino and Thomas and Ivan Latnia, who ironically ended up staying and a couple of other guys. So they knew they were going to have to take their lumps. And I think they would have taken some lumps last year. Uh, I think they might've been better than some people would have thought last year. That's just my take on it, but certainly it's a rebuilding process. As for this year, I mean, I think with all teams now coming in, you know, with lots of new bodies and lots of guys acclimatizing to the league to use the term rebuild, I'm hesitant of, but certainly there will be some growing pains. This is going to be uh, a young team. 40% of the roster is, is going to be made up of guys who haven't played uh, an OHL game. And, and that's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. It seems to be 
that's that's the same sentiment around the league that no one knows what their team is going to be. It's uh, the majority of a roster is going to be uh, 16, 17 year old rookie players in this Ontario hockey league. Um, but a, a few of those picks that Niagara did have are in large part to someone whose names come up a couple times on this podcast. And that is Phil Tomasino is Joey Burke still counting the cards that he got in that <laughs> trade, just sitting in his <laughs> office, smiling and Roger Hunt's phones beeping and him being like, Nope, I'm not answering Roger. The deal's done. <laughs> the deal's done. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, that's it's, it's funny because I mean, everybody thought that that trade was a good one at the time, right? Because, you know, Tomasino was going to star for Oshawa. Oshawa thought, uh, you know, they were a Memorial Cup contender and uh, the Ice Dogs needed uh, needed the rebuild. But boy, there were nine assets, eight draft picks and a player, David Gucciardi, who actually never ended up signing with with Niagara. And yeah, you know, a, re- a depleted draft stock because the Ice Dogs had gone all in, actually ironically acquiring, you know, Jack Studnik and Jason Robertson, uh, you know, a couple of years back and then getting drummed out in the second round by Oshawa. So they really needed to replenish the draft cover. And they did through the Oshawa generals with second rounders and third rounders. And that's going to be the core of the roster, you know, this year, some of those, you know, guys that they picked up in that trade that they desperately needed to, when you're trading draft picks and trading futures, and you've also been sanctioned by the league, you need to recoup your picks desperately because that's really going to be the way to rebuild your team. So yes, it, it is, it is going to be the Niagara uh, Tomasinos. I think this year, they should put his face on the Jersey instead of the ice dog with all the assets that could be dressed on any given night. <laughs> I'd I retire like his number just for the nine assets back yeah. for 26 yeah. games in Oshawa. Forget about all the points. Yeah. Just for the nine yeah. assets for 26 games. I'm totally borrowing that Clarky. I am going to use the Niagara Tomasinos at some point. I promise you, I will give credit, but I'm using it for sure. <laughs> you talk about that though. And, and for the fan base, uh, the draft that is, and you know, when the sanctions are issued, there's that sense of dread, perhaps gloom for sure. But I'm looking at the, the, 2021 draft class for Niagara and okay, sure. You don't get a first rounder, but three seconds, including back-to-back picks early in that second round, uh, not too shabby the way to, to replenish, I guess. No. And, and Juan Copeland was the first one. Joey Costanza was the goal, a goalie that they drafted. It's the earliest that they've ever drafted uh, a goalie earlier than Mark Visentine, who was drafted later in the second round you know, earlier than Tucker Tyne and who I believe was down in the seventh round and Stephen Dillon, who was in the second round and or third round, sorry, and Brent Moran, who was in the second round. So they obviously think highly of this guy, how much that's going to play into things this year. I don't know. And everybody seems to think uh, Declan Waddle, who's uh, plays, played for the Waterloo Wolves out in your neck of the woods, guys, is, is kind of one of those second round picks with first round talents. So all in all, the Ice Dogs, despite not having a first round pick, did pretty well with three seconds and their third. And I said, that'll be the, the core part of, of their lineup. And the year before they had, obviously, Pano Femis was picked second overall, but then they had two more second rounders and an early third rounder too. So certainly there's going to be, uh, I think, a fair bit of competition for spots because you can only dress so many 16-year-olds. And the Ice Dogs do have some returning players, but I think those young players are really going to play uh, a role and are going to be wearing uh, uh, Niagara Tomasino sweaters next year. <laughs> With all due respect to every other player in this league, I now have a favorite player, and it is a Niagara goaltender, Costanza. Yeah. <laughs> that is outstanding. The thing is, it's Costanzo. 
Oh, and, and I'm going to have to, I'm going to mess that up a ton of times. And obviously, and, and you know what, the fan base will be happy that 10 Seinfeld references, you know, still will probably be made. Oh, I think you almost have to. Um, you mentioned, obviously, it was the Burke's intention of recouping some of those draft picks that they used to go out and get uh, Robertson and Stadnika. Did Ivan Ivan Lodnia staying almost hurt Niagara, or was it a benefit to have an experienced guy like that with the youth movement? I think it was a benefit to have an experienced guy and a guy who was that talented. Uh, and I think you know the word was from from Minnesota is we're going to send you back to Niagara, but we want you to adopt a leadership role. And we would, while they you know they can't dictate trades, they say we would prefer that you weren't traded you know, to another team. We want to see how you would do in a leadership role. And, and he was, he became the captain after Akil Thomas got traded and, and he did a really, really good job. He was a really stabilizing force. And that kind of surprised me because he never struck me as a guy who would be one of those, you know, I mean, I'm not saying he has a bad personality or anything like that, but a guy who would become that leader, that guy to, you know, kind of rally the young guys. And he became a great example for the ice dogs in the second half of the season. And uh, even though he did get injured a little bit there, he was, I mean, he was the guy who really kind of held the ice dogs, you know, together, I think the second half of the season. As an Eastern Conference guy, Steve, this call is about all we're going to see of one another unless we arrange another one after the season starts, yeah. obviously, with the uh, conference-heavy schedule in the OHL this year. How do you feel about not coming to the West? Uh, you know what? It's interesting. when Whenever we look back and talk about games or whatever games happen against the West, whether it's Kitchener, Windsor, Sarnia, London, more often than not, those are really, really good games. I mean, I, I mean, when Niagara played Kitchener last year, it was uh, just after the new year, it was that seven, six game. I think it was, that was actually Tomasino's last game, I believe, you know, as an ice dog game, the ice dogs won that game in overtime. Um, I'm, I'm going to miss the, the West this year. Um, I mean, I've always been in favor of a more balanced schedule anyways, and I've always been in favor of, you know, a little bit more, uh, you know, realignment along geographical you know, ways because, I mean, Niagara, their travel schedule now, um, I mean, yes, they're in the Eastern Conference, but they still have to make lots of trips to North Bay, Sudbury, Barrie, Ottawa is no, you know, short drive in the countryside and things like that. Whereas, you know, Kitchener, Guelph, Hamilton, we get to, you know, play a lot or whatever, but Kitchener, Guelph, London, those are pretty simple road trips. So I'm actually going to miss the West, you know, whether it's, you know, me popping down the road and, 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 and catching a game or, or whether it's, you know, a Kitchener uh, or London or a Windsor, Sarnia, et cetera, Sault Ste. Marie coming into the Meridian Center. It's, it's a shame, but I understand why they did it. This league has a tendency, Clarkie, of, you know, being a three-year cycle. If you look at the last year we played and Niagara shipping out the likes of uh, Akil Thomas and Phil Thomas, you know, this would be their second year in said rebuild that we spoke about earlier. What are the expectations in Niagara for this Ice Dogs club? Well, I, I think they're, you know, higher than, than a lot of people would think. And I think, you know, not just challenging for a playoff spot, but being in that, I would say, lower tier of a playoff spot, uh, I think is something that uh, would be reasonable, you know, for the Ice Dogs, maybe a five through eight seed with an opportunity of really challenging one of the, you know, the, the upper seed type teams. The, the thing is with the Ice Dogs is the goaltending should be fine but they probably need another one. Otherwise they got a 16 year old as backup. 
the defense has a fair amount of depth still attached to it should be okay. Where the ice dogs are going to struggle is, is putting puck in the net on a consistent basis. Um, they, they just don't have a definitive score unless the import they picked a couple of years ago, Daniel Guschin, who actually got a full season in because uh, they, they loaned him to Muskegon of the USHL. And he had a very, very good year last year, but he's also eligible to, to be in the, in the pro ranks with San Jose this year. So if he goes to San Jose, that's a huge piece of Niagara's offense that will go missing and they can't replace those goals. If he's back, then they've got a bona fide guy on the top line and the top power play who should provide some offensive punch for a team. I think that will struggle, you know, offensively. So, um, I think, you know, again, there's, there's probably some moves to be made potentially as, as they kind of open up the trade freeze as we get closer towards training camp. Um, and I think Ice Dogs will have to target some guys who are our forwards. They have a nice complementary set uh, of forwards, but none of these guys is, is, is kind of like that big gun, that automatic 30-goal scorer that you like to have in the league. We're all looking forward to getting back to that training camp, the season that's going to start in early October. But right now, it's just us three knucklehead broadcasters sitting around in the summer, so we can be honest about things. Given all of the connections, and we've already touched on them all, including your first broadcast, the Tomasino trade, which maybe makes up a little bit from the previous year when Oshawa upsets Niagara in the playoffs. But do you have any sympathy in your heart whatsoever, Steve, for the Oshawa Generals who could have, would have, should have been Memorial Cup hosts in the season that wasn't? You know what? I do because... um... It, it said it's the place where I got my start. I called three or four games. I got to call games with John Tavares, for goodness sake, as an Oshawa general. Plus, I lived up in that region for, for quite a few years. So I do have a little bit of sympathy. Now, that said, though, boy, you go down to, to Oshawa, and uh, I, we went down for the road playoff games that year as a, as a family. And then just kind of watching the game, man, those fans are on you like you wouldn't believe they're they're taunting you. I mean, it's a good thing that uh, I have zero celebrity status whatsoever, even though I'm a famous TV broadcaster. You said this was just amongst us, right? <laughs> right famous right. TV broadcaster. Um, that uh, if they knew that I was I was the play-by-play guy, they probably would have been more relentless. All I had to do was wear an ice dog, you know, hat, and uh, they were they're pretty fierce. But uh, I do have a little bit of a soft spot for Oshawa, and I do feel bad because I do think they would have run a pretty good Memorial Cup there. With the past couple of years, the trades that both teams have made, there's been some big names, man. I, I want to see what Mr. Burke and Mr. Hunt have in store for uh, post-pandemic era here. Uh, Steve, we, you know, throughout this uh, alphabetical trip through the, through the league, at the end, we like to say, remind people that this is OHL Stories. Yeah. So do you have a good story from your time covering this league that may or may not involve your broadcast partner? <laughs> oh boy. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm actually going to tell uh, a story. Oh boy. That, you know, I've been doing it can this be PG for four, or it cannot be. <laughs> for four, yeah. I could be for, for 14 years. Um, you know what the story I'm going to tell, and this has happened two or three times. And and I, I know, Mike, uh, you used to be the TV broadcaster, so I'm sure this has happened to you, Chris. I'm not sure what your TV uh, background is, um, but we uh, it was post-game against Peterborough, and Ed and I were doing our usual post-game you know, banter, and um, 
all of a sudden he was going off on on the refs and he when he was making whistle sounds it was like and I said and I said something I said those ref whistles or did you have too much of the pregame chili and he looked at me and he started laughing and I started laughing and the way our post game works is that Al Galloway interviews somebody and then he has to make his way all the way to the other side of the arena to get back in place to kind of wrap up the show so unfortunately we had a minute and a half and we had the giggles we couldn't get anywhere close to 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 trying to broadcast he had lost it i was trying to hold it together at one point i looked at him and said are you going to be able to do anything right now <laughs> and it was over and it's happened two or three times to us over 14 years and it's the oddest of things that kind of sets us off and anyway we were able to stumble and throw it to uh to to al and and i don't know if it's happened to you mike but when it happens and you can't analyze anything in regards to highlights and you can't appear on camera you get what we call the dreaded wide shot so it was just a shot of the zamboni going around the arena with us in the background i'm sure it was very compelling television and then i when i interviewed ed for a podcast i i made sure that i didn't introduce him with you know sound of one of his great you know analysis or anything like that i had to play the part in which he lost it on the air so i mean i've got other stories that i could tell of you know going down to to sarnia my trips up to london for the ohl championship all the trips to oshawa and things like that but uh, those are the one that's the one that does kind of stand out to me i do remember seeing that clip on your podcast yeah (laughs) i did i was wondering if that's where you were going to go I think it speaks, Steve. You, you talk about those trips that you've made, being in Oshawa during that playoff run between the Ice Dogs and the Gens, just visiting as a family. Yeah. It speaks to so many of the men and women that cover this game, like we do, that we're actually like we're fans too. We're probably fans first, right? Because yeah. this is certainly not putting a whole lot of food on our table. No, this yeah, this this isn't the, the old job that pays the mortgage, it, right? Uh, it provides the pocket money. And, and it, it, it's funny, um, you know, had the OHL season, you know, continued in 2020, um, as you guys may have known, I mean, I had a heart attack back in 2019 and, you know, a couple of other things, you know, lost both of my parents in a short amount of time. I wasn't working that year. I was taking the whole year. And, and that year I was going to kind of just hit all sorts of OHL playoff venues. You know, it was going to drive up to Sudbury and spend the night or, you know, up to, to, to Barry or out to Kitchener to check out a game, you know, at the odd, which I haven't been to in, in quite a few years. And that's, that was going to be part of my postseason. If the ice dogs didn't make the postseason, I was just going to become that fan and, and have hopefully more stories. Cause I know fans, you know, through social media in a few cities. And I was looking forward to meeting up and saying hello to a few people and things like that. But the, you know, when the 2020 playoffs didn't happen, that's what I was going to do. I was just going to be, you know, a fan. And one more thing, Mike, just because, and Mike and Chris, is uh, if you remember when Sault Ste. Marie beat Kitchener in overtime in game seven, right? We to, remember. Yeah, I'm sure you do remember. It was a great game. It was so late for my daughter, who's a big hockey fan, that uh, we actually, I said, you got to go to bed. And, and but she wanted still wanted to follow the game so we put you guys on and it shows you what a hockey family we are that was our lullaby music that night the overtime winner that was uh, you know a great game a fantastic game and one I, I know you guys will remember forever because you know what in 14 years i've never called the game seven so 
Wow, it, I, well, it was my first game seven calling, yeah. and I was, I'm not kidding. Like, Farwell looked at me and said, are you okay? I was shaking just from the feeling in that building, the electricity yeah. that you felt. And I did no like, you know, as a broadcaster, obviously I wanted Kitchener to win because I wanted to call an OHL final. For sure. But that was it. Like, I was just the, the, the way the game was going, the amount of electricity in that building and everyone knew was what was at stake. It was, they, I know what people are talking about when they say electric. Yeah. yeah. It was great to listen to. It was great theater. Really. I'll even take it a step further. Not only wanting <clears throat> Kitchener to win, to have more games to call, uh, but, selfishly look I've, i'm born and raised in the city i'll make no bones about my homerism to a degree yeah. but i will also say in that same breath that was a whale of a hockey game and full marks to the winning team in double overtime it was a great atmosphere and environment to be in and then you remember chris we had to get on a bus real quick like a city bus to take us back to the airport because if we didn't fly out by midnight we weren't getting out that night we would have to stay over but and then the feeling like on that bus it was so quiet like you knew Mm -hmm. then it starts to dawn on you what was at stake for all of those players yeah i could draw from memory my shoes because that's all i saw for the 30 minute bus ride to the airport because i was just head down staring at my (laughs) shoes like don't make eye contact with anyone this sucks yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You get emotionally involved too, right? So yes. We've got a a feature interview for this particular episode, uh, Steve, with uh, Jason Brooks, who we caught up with when he was a uh, Cherry Cup champion in the Junior B Loop, the GOJHL. But of course, prior to that, an assistant and then a head coach in Guelph. And of course, an assistant with the Niagara Ice Dogs. I'm sure you remember Brooksy. I remember Brooksy and A, he was a great guy and, and, for the couple of years with some real good teams in Niagara under Marty Williamson, in which he was the assistant coach. And, and more importantly, I just remember, you know, him obviously having his, his health struggles and how the fact that he is, you know, continuing on and back in the game of hockey. And I, to me, that's the best news, you know, uh, of all. Um, I think, you know, guy who was with Guelph and with Niagara and then, you know, went to the GOGHL, uh, a guy I'm real happy who's still in the game of hockey. Great guy. I remember when I was playing junior B in Guelph, um, he was an assistant coach with the storm at the time. Mm -hmm. And I actually went out for dinner with a couple of the coaches because one of them was my uncle and Brooksy showed up (laughs) and just started laying into me about how much I was eating at this buffet and stuff. I'm like, (laughs) what's going on? He's he's jerking. If you want to make it up here, you better lay off. I'm like, I'm going to have one more taco. Yeah, you know, I don't make too many road trips. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're talking about not putting food on the plate. I'm thinking, look at us three. It definitely puts food in our bellies at some point. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not missing too many meals late. That's all three of us. But I remember you mentioned Brooks, uh, Brooksy's health issues. And I have an enduring memory of him when he was uh, head coach in Guelph coming into a game as the visiting coach at the odd. And he came in separate from the team because he had had to have an appointment of some kind. Uh, for his his back, which was what was really bothering him at the time. And he's on a cane. And honest to goodness, he looked 85 years old and frail. And I talked to him on the way into the building. And I'm, how are you even here to coach? Like just the the guts to be behind that bench and not have the cane there because he doesn't want to give that image to the players. Pretty remarkable stuff considering how bad it was yeah. for him at the time. Yeah, as I said, he, he's, he's a guy who loves the game of hockey that much. And, you know, we've seen in, in separate situations the toll – the game can take on coaches and general managers with, you know, a couple of coaches having some, some health issues and having to step away from the bench for a time. It's, you know, you, 
you got to love the game to be able to overcome that and still, as I said, be, go behind the bench despite the fact that you're, you're suffering. And he even stepped away most recently from the Cyclones as the general manager and head coach and then came right back the next year, now director of hockey operations. The guy can't get out. Nope. He can't. And he's right here on OHL Stories this week. Clarky, you're a beauty. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, guys. It was great to talk to you both. And there are so many great sto- hockey stories to talk about and so many uh, coaches and teams that you're associated with in the Ontario Hockey League that we could talk about. But I, I think i got to start with just how you're feeling. How's life right now, Brooksy? Life is good. Um, you know, just go day-to-day on, on things with my, my head. I mean, there's not much I can control with it, right? At the end of the day, the tumor is what it is, and it's it's going to grow if, on its own timetable and I'll just deal with it at that time from a healthy perspective outside of that you know I'm doing fine um your usual ailments as you get older Mike I'm sure you know um <laughs> sure do the, the aches and pains you deal with um but yeah besides that I, I'm fine I'm able to go to the rink every day and and do what I do and still able to coach the kids and help my family and and uh do my household duties at home with my wife, Jessica, and that. So, I mean, doing okay, Mike. Thanks for asking. J- Jessica and the kids aren't giving you a, a break? They're not doing those chores for you? No, they, <laughs> they, they don't, especially at playoff time. I think my wife does it to keep me grounded. I, she, she puts me to work pretty good. So, you, you mentioned playoff time, obviously, in the hunt for another Cherry Cup. Uh, how's, the, how's the team looking? How are you feeling? I feel pretty good about our team right now. We've had a good start to the playoff. We're up 3 nothing there with Guelph, and I played some pretty good hockey against them, um, but the one thing with the GOJHL uh, Midwestern Conference is there's so many good teams. I mean, if we're fortunate enough to get through this round against Guelph and move on, and whoever we face, if it's Waterloo or Kitchener, I mean, you're going to face a good team. And that's not to say those other series with Elmira and Stratford and Brantford and Brampton, respectfully, aren't going to continue to go, but... I believe our next opponent is going to be either Kitchener or Waterloo, and we know we're going to be you know, in a real tough series with them if we get by golf. As if the franchise record for Cyclones wins in a season last year wasn't enough, you had to go and top it this year. And uh, I, I think back to, it feels like forever ago, you talk about getting old, but how long ago it was we were there in Guelph together with you behind that storm bench. And uh, I wonder, Jason, since that time, how you feel you've evolved as a coach. Are you the same coach today as you were back in the uh, early 2000s no no i've i've learned and grown i mean that's the one beauty about coaching is you can learn so much from anybody and you know getting fired in golf that year and was very disappointing for me obviously and and the first time having to experience something like that was a bit of a challenge but to, to land on my feet in Niagara with Marty Williamson and to take what I had learned in golf from the great people I'd worked with, Jeff Jocks and Sean Camp, Dave Barr, and to all the assistants that were there as well with me during those times, to learn from them, see how we did things in golf, and then go to Niagara, work with Marty, see things on a on a different scale, a different level, and, and different mindset through different eyes. I was able to take all that information, come back to Listowel, be more relaxed, not worrying about necessarily being fired like I was in Guelph, right? In the end, it was pretty stressful. And this this time around, I've just enjoyed it. You know, I'm in my hometown coaching junior hockey. You know, I know it's not the OHL, but I think we play pretty darn good hockey and it's a great group to be with. And, you know, it's a lot of fun here. 
you talk about those coaches you worked with. What about the one you played for in Ottawa when you were a 67? Tell us a little bit about Brian Kilray and what it was like playing for that legend. Well, truth be told, I was scared to death of playing for Coach Kilray. I mean, he's an intimidating man, um, especially as a kid from small-town Ontario. You go there and you read the history and you see what he's done and, and what have you. Um, it was it was pretty surreal being there with him. Um the biggest thing I learned, though, from, from Brian was accountability. Um, do your job. Do it to the best of your ability. Um, you know, if you weren't a goal scorer, he didn't care. He wanted you just to do your job. Get the puck out. Get the puck in. Uh, take a hit to make a play. If you needed to fight for a teammate, you did it. Um, he was very much that type of coach. And, again, when you have that cachet that he had winning and the longevity that he had in Ottawa, I mean – instant respect obviously and you try to absorb as much as you could jason it seems everybody who we talked to who played for killer or or knew killer or knows killer has a killer story is there one that stands out to you yes but i can't say it on the air. <laughs> <laughs> all i can say is he used to say a speech to our defenseman and there was three lines to it and i think if you talk to a former 67 to play for brian they'd know the exact line i mean as a rookie hearing it for the first time i had to kind of cover my face so I didn't get caught laughing um, and get in trouble. But he used to scream at them, you have three options, high off the glass, something, something. I was going to ask yeah. if it had something to do with the glass. I think I've heard this story somewhere yeah. along the line. Yeah, I think we have. <laughs> yeah, so you hear that one and you're just kind of like, yeah, that's a killer. <laughs> How intimidating was it coming into the league as, as a rookie and walking into that kind of speech? You know, quite honestly, the whole thing was intimidating and and knowing now, well, I wish I could have known back then um, how to deal with it as a player going in. Um, Brian himself being intimidating, but stepping on the ice, like you step on the ice with Mike Pekka, and you're going, you're just drafted by Vancouver. Like they're talking about you potentially making the Canucks, right? And you're you're thinking you got a guy like that. Kurt Bowen was our captain that year. He was making the World Junior Team. Like you start hearing about all these guys, and you're going, like if I came from Lustle, yeah. right? Like I played junior B in Lustle, and I, you think I can play with these guys? Like, it took a long time to have that belief and confidence that I could do it and do it at that level. You mentioned the chance you have now, obviously, Jason, to coach in your hometown. You just talked about having played for the Listable Cyclones, your hometown team. Uh, how much a part of your life was hockey as you grew up in Listable? Well, it's a huge part. Whether it was playing minor hockey in town and coming to the B games and wanting to be a Cyclone, watching those guys play to playing junior B and then wanting to have that chance to, to make it to another level to say, you know, I came out of this program and let's look and develop good hockey players. And I, I always want to be one of those guys. I mean, my coaches in minor hockey were a huge influence on me. My teammates, obviously my friends are still friends to this day. And I mean, that's, that's the best part about playing hockey in your hometown is, is your friends growing up and, and doing it together. I, I read somewhere that your favorite cyclone growing up was Dan Gardner. Why? You know, when you're a kid, you kind of just gravitate to, to certain types of players. And Dan was the star for the team that year. And top team, uh physical, fight, score. You know, he was just kind of that jack-of-all-trades. I think he even had a Wendell Clark mustache. So I probably <laughs> love the fact that he had the, the dirty duster to go with it. But um, you know what? Just guys like that, when you're a young kid, they, they grab, your, grab your attention. And, and he was one of them. Growing up in Palmerston, I know that 
even people in Palmerston, to play for the Sykes, it's a big deal around that area. Being able to put on that jersey for the first time, do you remember it? Yeah, I do, actually. I was uh, playing an exhibition game against Kitchener, and I got to put it on in that game, and it was something special. At the time, it was a similar symbol to what the minor hockey teams had had, but you changed the C to a B with a stick when I first played. And, and that meant something. It meant something like I graduated and that that dream had been realized to, to play junior hockey and that, you know, one of my goals that I could check off kind of thing. So it was very special. All the talk coming into this year, of course, was about the new barn. Uh, do you miss the old one at all? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd be lying if I said yes. I mean, I miss the history. Sure. I miss, I miss everything about that. I miss looking back on last year and reminiscing on what we accomplished last year. But to be up in the new Steve Kerr Memorial is, is pretty special. I mean, it's a beautiful facility. We have a great dressing room. Um, you know, it, it's very professional for a junior B team. It, it's unbelievable. And for, for players to recruit players to just come to the arena, like I said, 9 o'clock we practice and I'm coming to the rink and I want to come here. I want to go into the office and sit and talk and, you know, see the guys in the room and just be in this environment. It's just so much nicer. If anyone is listening and they haven't seen the Cyclones room, go on to Twitter and do a Google search because it is outstanding stuff. They did a really good job, Brooksy. They, they did an amazing job. It, it's, it's, it's as nice of a room as I've seen. And, I mean, I've been fortunate to have seen a few rooms through the OHL tours. And, I mean, these guys did a great job here. Now, sorry, just when you went when you went home to Listowel, after Niagara, you didn't just jump right into the junior B ranks. You coached an Adam team. Was, <laughs> was that more challenging or less challenging than major junior or junior B? You know what? It was, it was, it was more challenging to some degree um, because you're dealing not just with players, you're dealing with parents. Um, but it, I had a belief. I, I, for some reason, I thought I could come back and coach an Adam team. I'm going to teach him the same stuff we coach in junior. I'm going to run the same type of drills. <laughs> um, and, and, the joke is they did it. Wow. They did it, and they played great hockey. Now, did we do it exactly the same? No, but the same principles and theories were there, and they were a great group. And to this day, I still do lessons with a bunch of them that were on that team. Um, I'm in contact with them. This group still gets together at Christmas time. Every Christmas now, have a little scrimmage, and the parents get together. That Adam team had played, you know, Adam, then one, and Pee Wee, and one, and you know, in band and some of them have won and it's nice to get them all together and, and talk about what we accomplished that year and to, to see it and be in minor hockey after being a major junior was uh, quite an experience. As we're recording this, uh, it's a Wednesday night going on 9 p.m. You're on your way to the rink for a practice uh, with the Sykes. It's a, it's a round-the-clock job, Brooksy. How do, you, how do you balance being a coach, even at the junior B level, having been through major junior as well, but with life, with family, with work, and everything else? You know what? It's a, it's a great question. Uh, great people, great support people. Like For me, it starts at home. My wife, Jessica, um, you know, she's very, she's my rock, really, like, when it comes to this stuff. Um, she keeps me organized between the kids and the bees as to where I have to be, um, you know, with whether it's my daughters or my son um, at their hockey and then to, to practice after sort of thing. Um, to people at work, to BT Transport Group in Listowel, who, you know, I work for my father, Jim. He's the president. Um you know, the, the, the staff that I work with allowing me, 
um, to take off maybe early to go to a road game um, to pick me up when I'm not there, right, to pick up that slack. Um, you need a lot of good people. And then to say I have great people here in Lister will be an understatement. Jesse Cole, Todd Norman, Mike Brooks um, as a coaching staff, Jeremy Hayward as our goalie coach, um, to our training staff, Corey Burke, Brent Miller, uh, to our equipment, Mark Kennedy, you know, Mark Childerly. Like these guys – they put their passion and heart and soul into it and make it easy for me because the guy that I was in junior having to do video for hours and hours and hours, Mike, that you remember, I don't have to do anymore. I mean, I've taught these guys to do it and helped them do it and <laughs> want to teach them and help them just like Jeff Jackson, Dave Barr, Sean Camp did with me. It's got to be a nice feeling being the delegator now. <laughs> well, I'm not uh, going to lie. It is nice. Yeah, I don't doubt <laughs> it. Uh, you, you mentioned the long list of people on the Cyclones uh, hockey operations staff. You, I'm sure it's a, a, a somber time in Cyclone Nation, obviously with the passing of uh, Jim Scott. He was probably, or he was there for over 50 years uh, monitoring the penalty box, and I'm sure you ran into him when you were coming up as a youngster and then playing for the team and then now back coaching. Uh, what's the feeling around Cyclone Nation? Well, everybody's very sad and very hurt by the loss of Jimmy. Um, you know, he is a face that, that you... You anticipated seeing up here. Um, you'd walk through the door, and he'd have his hand extended to shake it and say hi and catch up real quick and ask how you were doing. Um, as I said in his uh, in an interview I did uh, for a newspaper, you know, Jimmy Jimmy told it like it was too. I mean, love him or hate him, he'd tell you like it is. We'd win a game. He'd shake my hand and say, "Great win, you guys stunk." <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. Right, like. I know we stunk. I didn't know you were coaching too. But <laughs> he, he was passionate, and that's what you loved about him. And, and for 50-plus years to continue to come and, and to support the team and the organization and to want to, to be here all the time, I think is a pretty special thing. And, you know, another thing I said about him was he could smell the ice going in. It didn't matter the time of year. He seemed to know when the ice was going in, and he'd be up there. And we run our hockey school up here in Lissabon, you know, in August, and he'd be the first person in that building sitting in the stands waiting for the kids to go on the ice. Like you just knew hockey was back because Jimmy was there. We, we talked Jason about, uh, about your health right off the top. And I'm, I'm so happy to, to hear that y- you are where you are uh, physically and how you're feeling. I remember, I'll, I'll never forget uh, one of the games that uh, I was coming to at the odd and you were walking in and, and that's when your, your back was the biggest issue. It was before anything else had, uh, had happened, and I just I remember how how difficult it was for you to even walk into that barn. But there you were going in to, to coach that game. I, I wonder through all of this uh, if hockey was instrumental to you. I mean, to, to to have come back to the game the way you did after all the health difficulties and, and to to stay with the Sykes while you were undergoing treatments. It, was that an instrumental part of your recovery, staying involved in the game? Uh, it had to be. It had to be. Um... You know, that was one thing Jessica and I talked at home about was to stay involved if I could with the the game to take my mind off what was going on and um especially with the playoff run going on at the time, it was it was nice to come to the rink. Our team was very good. They all understood what I was going through. But the fact that I would show up, I think meant meant the world to them. And they just went out and performed, whether it was a practice or a game, they went out and did their best. Um a lot of practices last year. I told the assistants to stay home because we might just do a 30-minute skate between games, right? So they're driving an hour for a 30-minute skate, just stay home. I'd go out, I'd stand there, the team would run their own practice. I would I would oversee it, 
but they did all the talking. They knew all the drills. Um, like when I say it's a special group of players here, I mean it. Like as a coach, you can't get any better of a group than I've been fortunate enough to deal with the last two seasons. You mentioned that the the Cherry Cup run last year, and for people who don't know, you were going uh, down to London five days a week uh, for six weeks for treatment on the benign tumor. Um, and you, of course, because of that treatment, you couldn't drive yourself. You had you had a lot of people help out and uh, stand up. And what what do you think that says about uh, Listowel and the Cyclone family? Well, it's a great community. It's a great a great organization. And it's a great family atmosphere. I mean, parents of players uh, gave me rides. Friends of mine gave me rides. The parents, the the team uh, personnel, fans donated gift cards and stuff to my family to help us. You know with the travel, whether it be gas or restaurants or what have you, they didn't have to do that. They they just reached out. They felt they needed to and wanted to, to help us. And I mean, it was a great feeling for my family. It was an emotional feeling for our family. Um, when we received a gift um, and all the support we received from people in the community, a second to none. And I, again, very grateful to be a part of this organization and the Cyclone family. I'm going to uh, admit something really embarrassing here, but I'll say it up front that it's going to be embarrassing. Uh, but I, I happen to be in Listy on Saturday. Do I have enough cred to call it Listy, by the way? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah Mike, you can call it Listy. Thanks, Brooksy. Appreciate it. Okay, yeah. so I was there on Saturday for one very specific reason, and that was the gala to kick off Patty Fest. I, Jason, I did not know until this past weekend that Patty Fest was a thing in Listowel. So my question to you, sir... I've already lambasted him for yeah, it, Yeah, I know. It, right? Like, it's embarrassing. I can't believe it. It's not like we're that far away. So right. how, do you, how do you balance a, a, another run for a Cherry Cup and Patty Fest at the same damn time? I mean, come on. Well, first off, last year, I didn't enjoy Patty Fest. I <laughs> enjoyed it from afar. And like, like this year, I hope the plan is the same, is that we get to enjoy it from afar. Um, Patty Fest has been on here, you know, forever and a day like before my time obviously coming into this world it was still going on before that so i know it's a special time here in town people in town get really excited about it normally local people mike around the area know about it and really enjoy it too um and you know now that you're in docker or introduced to it you can come down and enjoy the whole festivities and really enjoy it all right i'll do it on your behalf how's that <laughs> that's better because I'm, I'm going to be busy hopefully with hockey a boy <laughs> you you were busy last year obviously winning the cherry cup did going through the the health stuff and then to come out as as champion when you're you're on the ice and you guys have won and i'm sure there was a moment between you and uh, your co-captain caleb warren who i believe is it his parents your family doctor yeah, yeah. What was that whole, like, seeing him, did it kind of bring everything full circle? You know, yes, but it, ironically, not because of the, the tumor, not because of my health, not because of anything of that, because of year one being with players like Caleb Bourne, being players like Blake Nickel, Keaton Willis, um, local kids who played that first year with me, um, I can say this, like I was really, really hard my first year and two on the local guys right? because my goal for them was to make them the best players they could be, to wear the cyclone proudly and to be the best players that they could be, that kids could look up to. And that was my goal. And those, those guys, it, it, it sounds goofy, but 
they're like family. Like I, I, I feel like I helped raise them for those four years. Right. Right. And, and, and so when you win a championship like that and Caleb seeing Caleb and, you know, Caleb was obviously a big supporter of my head, but to embrace him in the hug, to, to know we had won and to know where the journey began that first year, that was the most meaningful. So some success last year and hopefully some more this year. We're, we're on the push. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and you, you you've definitely changed the culture of what it means to be a listful cyclone. Are you are you I don't want to use the word content, but are you happy where you're at, or is there still aspirations that uh, to to move up into major junior? Oh, well, or do you I'd know? Be, <laughs> you know what I I'd be lying to say the thought doesn't cross my mind about wanting to go back or what it would take or would it work. But in all honesty. I look at my life and where I'm at right now. I look at my home life. I look at my family, which is my center. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's the most important thing for me is my wife and my kids. And if it worked out, I could go back to major junior and it didn't affect the family. Then we consider it. But being here, having the ability to coach a junior team, as I said, in your hometown, in a new building, um, still being able to be involved in all three of my kids teams because of that, um, watching them get to play, it's something that I cherish. It's something that I, I look forward to. Um, not that I don't miss coaching and love being back at that high level and being in the thick of things. But right now, where my life is at, this is where I want to be. I don't know a whole lot, but I do know that uh, late for practice is not a good look, especially for the head coach. Uh, so we'll let you get to practice. But, Brooksy, it's so great to catch up with you. Thanks for making time for us and, and continued success and continued good health. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me on. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.